The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Happy first day of spring to those listening on the day we dropped this episode. If you're a regular, you know I'm a winter gal, but I'm embracing the beauty of spring and all that blossoms this season. I'm also really excited to bring you today's guest. Danny Richter is a longtime friend of Republic EN, but he and I just met for the purposes of recording this episode. And by met, of course, I mean under the post-pandemic conditions of a Zoom. But it was so nice to finally have a chance to connect face-to-face, as I've been hearing and reading his name for literally years now. Danny is the past director of government relations for the Citizens Climate Lobby, an organization that advocates for a carbon dividend plan, and a group we have featured many guests from. But he recently made the professional move over to the Pricing Carbon Initiative. So he and I are going to talk about the network the Pricing Carbon Carbon Initiative fosters, the prospects for pricing carbon at the federal level, and other adjacent topics. Listeners, my conversation with Danny Richter is coming up next. Listeners, so excited to have first time unbelievable guest, Danny Richter. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. So back when you were at CCL, Citizens Climate Lobby, we definitely had a bunch of your peers on the show, mostly the folks that were involved with the Conservative Caucus, but we never had you, but I would see your name all the time in the emails I get from CCL, the uh, thoughtful newsletters that add so much information, and I'm just happy to have you here. It's it's really a pleasure to be here. I mean, uh, CCL has been working with Republic EN for a long time. There's just a huge alignment uh, in terms of our goals and uh, uh, building building democracy. And that's that's true in my current role as well at the yes. Pricing Carbon Initiative, uh, yes. also trying to build a robust public dialogue. So tell our listeners who have not heard of the Pricing Carbon Initiative what it does, what your mission is. Yeah, the Pricing Carbon Initiative has been around for uh, over a decade. Um, And uh, what we do is we uh, work more grass tops as opposed to grassroots. uh, And we're working um, mostly within D.C., but certainly there's a broad network outside of D.C. And we're trying to get people who don't usually talk to each other to talk to each other. Uh, And how's that going? (laughs) You know, uh, my hat's off to Tom Stokes, who founded the Pricing Carbon Initiative. Uh, I've been working with Tom uh, professionally uh, on staff since October, uh, but uh, I've been working with him since I first came to D.C. for CCL in 2013. Um, and it's really it's really him who's managed to pull this off. Uh, and I would say it's, it's going really well uh, the entire time I've been in D.C. I haven't seen a network that is as diverse, that meets as consistently, that is so good at building camaraderie and uh, fostering productive dialogue between people who think differently as this network that Tom has built. And so uh, since I I came on staff, I've really been, um, I've really been paying attention to how he does it and and what, what, uh, what are the keys to bringing together such different perspectives um, and to really foster this productive dialogue where, where people leave um, feeling um, 
feeling better about uh, people who disagree with them about so much. So when you say people that don't normally talk to each other, my mind immediately went to um, years and years ago when I was at the National Wildlife Federation, and we started working with the founders of the Christian Coalition because they shared the view that we had to protect the environment. And for them, it was coming from a place of faith. And from us, it was coming from, you know, different place, but that was sort of an unusual bedfellow because on other issues, um, you know, the two sides, the people involved probably saw things differently. Is that kind of what you mean by having people talk to each other that wouldn't normally talk? That's, that's one example. Um, and so here's, I'm going to enter this earlier, so I don't get myself into too many knots later on, but, uh, Part of the way that Tom has done this is by having most of these dialogues under the Chatham House rule. Mm -hmm. And the Chatham House rule is that you can use what is uh, the information that is shared, but you can't say who said it and you can't say um, uh, and you can't say who else was at the meeting. And so uh, that will yeah, yeah. But uh, but yes, I I think that um, what Tom has done, he's, he's gotten people in particular from from the right and the left together, yeah. um, uh, as well as uh, faith-based groups, as in the example that you just brought up, uh, progressive and uh, conservative think tanks together, yeah. uh, social justice organizations, EJ organizations, labor, they've all been in in this group. And so that's that's what I mean when, uh, you know, people who don't usually talk to each other. We had a, a dialogue recently in January, and there were people who have been been in dc a really long time and they were saying this is the only place where they they get perspectives from the other side of the political aisle um and i think that that really creates huge value again to the network that uh, tom has built right and those chatham house rules i think really help create a safe space Mm -hmm. so if you know that you can say something in front of you know an, an audience that isn't normally your people, right? It's not your your usual choir and hear each other. What you just said, sometimes people, you know, we silo ourselves and we don't get the opportunity to hear a different perspective or, or maybe we have the same goals and a different way of getting there. And and those nuances can be really important in the development of policy and in the building of support for policy. Super important. And, and so um, I think the Chatham house role sometimes is so valuable because it enables people to get beyond the nuance. And when you get beyond the nuance, what you realize is, wait, we we all just want to see emissions go down. And we all think that in our case, a carbon price is a really good way of doing that. We don't agree on how exactly, what kind of carbon price we want, how the revenue is going to be spent, but gosh darn it, there's a lot of work we can do together uh, before we get to that point where those differences matter. Uh, and so that that recognition of common ground um, under the uh, Chatham House rule, enabling a lot of people to forget the nuances for just a little bit mm-hmm. and really find that common ground. I, I, as I said, I've been listening very closely and, and trying to learn from Tom. And I think that's I think that's part of the key. And so at the pricing carbon initiative, are you as one unit and entity at some point? Uh, going to take off your masks and march up to the hill together. Maybe you're already doing that. Or is this um, an effort where you're um, kind of emboldening and and helping these entities be able to go do that on their own? Uh, it's more the latter. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as a network and not mm-hmm. a coalition. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I was with CCL, I loved going to these 
meetings that Tom organized because uh, it was just so efficient. I could I could talk to you know see forty or fifty people in the room whom I wanted to talk to. I may not even have known that they existed, uh, and I'd find some of them and have a side conversation. And you know, instead of taking hours and hours and hours meeting them individually and traveling all around DC to meet them, here they were in one place, and we could have these short, efficient conversations. And with some of them. Yes, I did go up to the hill and we we advocated for something that we agreed on or we figured out, uh, you know, a time where those who agreed more closely uh, with us, we could we could talk. Um, but I, n- I never could have done that without without Tom. And, and I think that now that I'm with the Pricing Carbon Initiative, it's that kind of thing that we're trying to do. We're trying to create a space where people can uh, can find each other uh, in a in a um Sometimes our dialogues have been described as nerdy, uh, where they they also uh, have access to the nerds who who really uh, embolden action, uh, and where they can ask those those questions of those nerds. You know, hey, yeah. just in, in layman's terms, tell me how this works. Right. Um, so yes, network, not a coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think we are trying to envision going to the hill more. Uh, I certainly uh, am comfortable doing that. And so that's yeah. one thing that I think that Tom uh, is excited about with my joining the team. Uh, but it would really be to uh, not to advocate, but but to inform uh, and um, not just the legislators, but uh, our network and to to bring what's what's going on on the Hill. What, what how are they thinking? Because um, that's a lot of people in the network. They, they don't have they don't have that uh, access very much. And so that, that is also value added for our network. So you, you know, when you were at CCL um, serving as the director of government relations, obviously had your finger very firmly on the pulse of anything carbon pricing, climate related. Um, do you still get to play that role now? Are you, are you the guy that's saying to the folks without violating your Chatham House rule that, you know, this is the status of things that are happening and you're still, are you still meeting with congressional offices or is that a little bit on the back burner for now, at least? <laughs> I mean, at CCL, I, I had the great privilege of, of reading hundreds of meeting notes that our volunteers, okay. um, as constituents, Fit. And then I you know, did my analysis of those. And so it was a very privileged position that I that I had. So this is a step back from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're, there's just there's really no other organization that is going to be able to even accomplish mm-hmm. accomplish that many meetings in a day uh, that I've heard the whole time I've been here in D.C. I, yeah. Nobody has that many meetings in a day. Um, so it will be a step back from that. But, uh, yeah, we, we do want to meet uh, with um with members of Congress who are making things happen on carbon pricing specifically, I think it's important for us to stay in our our lane. That's where yeah. we have agreement from our network, and so I think I think we don't want right. to we don't we don't want to get too far from from that agreement because then I think you, there's 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 potential for for snags. For sure. uh, so yeah, but going to the Hill and uh, clarifying what the situation is so that we can set up more compelling dialogues, we can. Mm-hmm tap the the most relevant experts to speak uh, so it is useful to our network and so they can be useful to Congress. Um, that's that's how I envision that going. 
Well, and I feel like in the last week or so or longer, and listeners, um, Danny and I are talking um, the Thursday before the episode is um, released. So this isn't um, dated. We, it seems like CBAM, the carbon border adjustment mechanism has been in the news a lot as a bipartisan effort that might be going forward. So would that fit in your carbon pricing bucket, even though it's us pricing carbon coming into the country. Absolutely. Uh, and at our last dialogue, that was that was clearly where the greatest interest was. Uh, and so, yeah, that's 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 the biggest thing going on in, in carbon pricing uh, right now. And uh, partly because you do have the engagement of Republican senators. Uh, uh, Senator Cassie of Louisiana has been quoted as saying that he's preparing a, a CBAM bill. Uh, and then you also have efforts from from Democrats, uh, the Clean Competition Act. I believe that was White House, Coons, Schatz, and Heinrich who put that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you also have uh, from last Congress in the the bipartisan effort that Senator Manchin and Senator Murkowski led. Uh, CBAM was also something they were discussing there, and Senator Manchin said that was probably where the the most interesting conversations had and that was the most likely thing uh spaces for agreement in the in the coming congress which is now this congress so mm-hmm. so yeah there's um cbam is a is a hot topic right now and uh we're we're very interested in it our network is very interested in it and uh it's it's complicated so again there's a real role for for us as uh connecting it, again the nerds uh to explain some of the basics and what are some of the implications of what really gets to be a very complicated topic very quickly yeah we had katrina rourke on um a few episodes ago and and i love how she can take the nerdiness of policies like this and their implications on industry and so forth in the series of white papers that she has worked on and just really translate it to people in a way that makes sense. And so, you know, you've you've mentioned a few times the nerdy factor, and I think that's important. We have to understand the implications of what we're trying to do. And um, so I'm wondering, we've talked a lot or we've mentioned the support for CBAM in the Senate. Do you see similar support in the House, in the Republican controlled House? Uh, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the same kind of support yet. Um, it may be there. I've, I've, I think that there are Republicans who are, who are listening, uh, and, but they're, they're not yet willing to be, uh, public saying, uh, you know, I, I think this is something that the United States should do. This is an America first policy. Mm -hmm. Uh, it does to, to use, uh, Katrina's uh, phrase and CLC's phrase, this isn't, uh, they're not saying let's take advantage of uh, America's carbon advantage. Um, so, but I do think that they're listening. I think they're paying attention. Um, so I, I think that there's potential there. But this I, on this issue, the Senate's going to leave. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. So what is, if you were a betting person, and I don't know whether you are, um, what are the odds you're putting on um, us pricing carbon emitted here in the U.S.? I'm not, I'm not a betting person, uh, but I am someone who is happy to put uh, probabilities uh, okay. on, on the future. And I will, I will say the factors here that I think most affect the probabilities for me 
you look around the world, the rest of the rest of the world is pricing carbon. And uh, when you look at the developed economies, there are only two developed economies around the world that don't have a price on carbon. That's the United States and Australia is the other one. But even they have a it's a it's a I believe it's a offset and, and baseline is what they call it. So they have a carbon price based on the it's really an offset price. So, and you have developing countries who are pricing carbon as well, uh, including China. Uh, and so uh, the big concern, which I think is really cranking the probability of action up, is that the United States stands to be isolated. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they're, they're, uh, the world could act uh, without America having a prominent voice. And how often does that happen? It's so rare uh, in recent history. We've been such a leader Um I mean, my view is that if, if we don't act without a serious conversation, um, there is, we won't be a leader. There's a real risk that we get left out of, of conversations. Um, so that, that's, that's, uh, for me, the thing that makes, that raises the probability the most, uh, that the United States, uh, Congress does do something. The first thing that popped to my mind when you were saying that is the, um, it may be a Winston Churchill quote, or it might be an urban myth that it's a Winston Churchill quote, <laughs> but, um, how Americans will always do the right thing after they've exhausted all other options. Um, yeah. we'll get there, <laughs> but you know, um, so this morning I was doing a little deep dive on the inflation reduction act and, I don't know why this didn't strike me at the time, I guess, because so much of the news and the noise was around the the investments, right? We're going to extend these different tax credits and we're putting this money into this technology and so forth. But the fee on methane emissions to me feels like carbon tax light. I mean, that's a $900 a ton fee on methane that leaks from oil and gas and I don't know. That's significant. I I don't know why. I guess it it just somehow in the noise of everything else, I didn't really focus on the meaning of that. And when I was looking at it today, I thought, okay, this to me is like a baby step, right? We can show that this is okay. I think it's a huge deal that there's a methane fee in there. It's uh, it it is not a carbon price, but it is a price on a a Peruvian tax on a greenhouse gas, Uh a very potent greenhouse gas. And the other thing that I like to point out in terms of things that we're already doing 34 states have severance fees and those states tend to be uh, fossil fuel producing states and what a severance fee is it's a a fee on when you sever or take a fossil fuel from from the earth and so what these states are doing is what they've done is they say all right you can you can take the coal you can take the oil you can take the natural gas but um, we're going to use this to not have income tax in our state for example. And so um, there's really a long history in the United States of putting fees on fossil fuels. And I think it's a a really small, it's not even a hop or a skip. It's just a small jump from that to to a carbon price. And, And I think that there have been so many questions about can we do this? Will this affect companies? Uh, is this going to affect our economy? And I think you can look at those fossil fossil fuel producing states and the severance fees that they've had, and you can say, no, it's it's not a big deal. It's not a big administrative burden. It's not a hard calculation to make, and it's not something that is going to tank the economy. So um, that's another thing that I I just don't think we've talked enough about. Well, and and sometimes I well when I was reading the methane provision. And they call it a pollution fee, at least in some of the um, 
the summaries describing it. And I thought, you know, I've always sort of felt like carbon tax needed a little bit of a rebrand. Yeah. <laughs> like people hate the T word, right? It scares people, but pollution to me, um, you know, it gets away from that argument that carbon is something that naturally occurs. And so having it be, you know, pollution and just, you know, Bob Inglis, our executive director says this all the time. If you or I go to our municipal dump and we want to leave something behind, we pay to leave our pollution, right? Whether it's an old TV or whatever it is behind, but nobody's paying a tipping fee for putting carbon into the atmosphere right now. So thinking of it more as pollution, I think could help get people's mind around minds around what it really is. Yeah, there's there's that, uh, and certainly, and then also thinking uh, more about well, what are we going to use? What are we going to use that for? What are we going to use that revenue for? Right. Um, I think that making it less about the the stick and and what it enables you to do uh, on the other side. Uh, that's that's another. I, I would put that in the in the category of marketing, um, yeah. and I think that that's an important consideration as well. And I think that you know some of the idea, like for example, Bob you know, favors returning the revenues to um, offset a payroll cut tax, obviously CCL, the dividend to Americans. To me, I like those options where it takes all the money and does one thing. (laughs) When we had the cap and trade bills in the um, early 2000s and they had a bazillion different pet projects that were being funded and, and didn't even really necessarily buy favor with those revenues to me that you know that was a growing of the government that was you know uh, made it a complicated system and i think the easier that we make something and when people see a direct benefit so aside from the myriad benefits of cutting carbon when you get a reduction in your taxes or you get a check in the mail quarterly that's that has an impact that says something yeah, and uh, at the pricing carbon initiative, uh, these these are the kinds of things that our our network will disagree about, and we don't have a particular view on. But uh, let's let's have the discussion. Let's let's yeah. let's talk about that. And and uh, I mean, another thing that comes to mind here is, uh, I uh, in CCL it always made sense to me that you would focus on one thing, mm-hmm. but also it was ultimately going to be members of Congress. Who, who made the decision. And, and so having something simple um, to, to advocate for that certainly empowered uh, our advocates in, in having a, a, a simple message. Uh, but then you know, one of the things that's so encouraging about last Congress and the Congress before, there's so much creativity right now yeah. around carbon pricing. And so rolling into this Congress, you have all these new ideas for how how to how to do the price structure and then how to use the revenue and I think this is great because it gives policymakers when they get to the moment of the deal they have all this all these things that they can reach for uh, and for when you get down to those just you know few that handful of legislators who are the holdouts you can say all right here's the language where you can do it this way it's it's, it's a it's a payroll tax cut or you can mix that do that 50 50 with with this which is which is a dividend. Uh, and this, that, that's, that makes it easier to get to the deal. And so I think that having, having a variety of, of perspectives out there publicized, uh, that gives yeah. lawmakers, um, who are there, that's the decision point. That's the, yeah. gives them more tools. Cause you know what, you and I are not going to be the ones in the room when these decisions no. are being made. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> I we wish do, we were. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and our goal is to make sure there are more tools and more useful tools in that room when those decisions are being made. That's right. Danny, if there's anyone that's listening who works for an organization that might not be yet part of the Pricing Carbon Initiative, are you accepting member, new members into your network if a group wanted to approach you and get engaged on this? We have uh, a combination of private events and mm-hmm. public events. So okay. uh, the, the the pandemic forced uh, innovation and we innovated and it was quite successful. And so we do have a blend of public forums, which are not chatting okay. house rule. Okay. And so uh, we, we have a, a website uh, that's, this has been part of my job is uh, updating the content for that website uh, and it should go live uh, end of March. So check it out at pricingcarbon.org. Uh, and you'll be able to see some past public forums on that website. And I'm sure that once we have a, a new public forum, uh, that, that'll be up there. Uh, and so, and, and in terms of getting into the private dialogues, well, I still have a thing or two to learn from Tom about yes. how exactly <laughs> to nest that, um, those introductions. So, uh, I don't have a, I don't have a specific answer there, but, uh, we, we are working on that. Yeah a greater public face and engaging more voices, more diverse voices in our dialogues. Price. I love talking to Danny. He's so great. And I've never met him in person, but I feel like I've known him for a long time. You know, what I didn't know was that Danny started in medicine before he moved over to climate. That's something I did not know. Interesting. I missed that about his background. Um, But, you know, I think he's doing the thing that he was called to do because he's very good at his job. And um, I appreciate all the work that he did at CCL, but also the effort now um, with with the Pricing Carbon Initiative. And I do just need to make one note that he followed up with me on. You know, we um, obviously, we talked a lot about pricing carbon and mm-hmm. one of the um, mechanisms that came up with CBAM. And and he just wanted me to make a note that Senator Cassidy, who is one of the lead um, champions to have a carbon border adjustment mechanism, CBAM, um, on our books, that he doesn't like to call it um, pricing carbon, that he sees it as a foreign pollution fee. And so just wanting to make sure that we don't um, ostracize, is that the right word? that we don't um, make anyone feel bad about what it is that they're doing or supporting. I know that these words can be really, words can be charged, language can be charged, so. Yes, yes, but congratulations to Danny on moving over to the Pricing Carbon Initiative, who is doing very good work with Tom Stokes, and certainly Danny and and Tom are good friends of ours here on the EcoRight. Really appreciate Danny Richter, Dr. Danny Richter. Did you know that? He's a doctor. Gosh, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> you just never know. The uh, the internet can tell you a lot of crazy things, Chelsea it Anderson. Sure can. All right. Uh, before we go any further, let's shout out some new members. Jennifer M. in New Mexico, Robert S. in North Carolina, Jim L. in Colorado, Susan B. in Ohio, and then Keaton B. in California, who Keaton signed up after hearing Bob speak at University of California, Berkeley, very recently when he spoke to the Law Schools Federalist Society. So appreciate everybody for standing with us, which you can do at republican.org forward slash join. Chels? 
So I am pretty stoked to bring our listeners next week's guest mm-hmm. and and an apology to listeners for us not delivering an episode last week. But, you know, sometimes things happen with schedules. And why I've tried to do price is to just take a deep breath and say, it's okay. There's always next week. There is no podcast police that is going to come after us if we miss a week. Anyway, I know you valuable listeners that you (laughs) might have been disappointed. Anyway, next week, we've got our guest. The the recording is in the bag. So um, Sarah Beth Aubrey is a co-founder and CEO of In Climate Conversations. This is a group out of Indiana, a state that's near and dear to our hearts right now. And there she helps convene conversations around agriculture and sustainability. And, you know, a lot of what she does reminds me of what we do here, which is making people who lean conservative feel comfortable talking about an issue like climate change where they might not otherwise feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, exciting to have somebody like that. But, you know, we talked before we just started recording from Indiana in a place that, um, you know, that we're doing a lot of work these days and a place that Bob will be uh, in April. But yes, you're right and excited to have her next week, Chelsea. And, you know, as you mentioned also, just really quickly, uh, we do have these uh, built in, uh, you know, kind of unofficial breaks, if you will. You know, sometimes when you have problems, you know, getting guests lined up, which does happen from time to time. And uh, sometimes we just need a uh, good old fashioned little break. Excited to be back uh, with everybody this week and to do it again next week. That's right. And I, the way I see it, um, you know, we were going to take a break after Memorial Day and I just took that off our, off our calendar and we might decide to still do it. You never know. We make the rules price. Yes, yes, we do. Right here at the Eco Right Speaks podcast, which comes to you every single Tuesday via Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast every single day, week, however often you are podcasting. Uh, just search the Eco Right Speaks and hit that subscribe button because that is where it can be delivered right to your device every single week when we bring you a new episode on Tuesdays. That's right. Just do it. Just do it. While you're <laughs> just doing it, sign up uh, again to join us at Republican.org, where you'll get uh, Chelsea's award-winning Week in Review that comes out uh, at the end of the week. Uh, also, we send out some poll questions. We don't spam you. We just send out a few things here and there to keep in touch with our outstanding members and our community uh, at Republican.org. So, Chelsea, until next week, I will bid you adieu, and I will see you then. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.